Hi, I'm Mara Webster with In Creative Company, and I'm so thrilled today to be joined by the screenwriter of The Woman King, Dana Stevens. And I wanted to start by talking about a lot of the initial conceptualization that that you had for, for writing the story and, and telling the story on screen, um, because you were initially bought in and, and kind of given some ideas of, of what this story was going to be and how it was going to be told. And then it sounds like you really took that and, and kind of made it your own in a lot of ways, even just shifting the initial time period from being a little bit later in, in the 1800s towards very specifically 1823. Um, and I love that it's not even just, you know, the 1820s, that there was like a specific year that you honed in on once you started researching it. And so once you'd had those initial meetings and, and been hired onto the project, what was that journey of, of, of taking the initial ideology of, of telling the story and then finding the details that felt really important to you and how to express this and how to capture the journey of these characters? Well, um, one of the big things was that the, the sort of initial uh, sort of lookbook and, and, and conversation was focusing more on the 1890s where the... Uh, the enemy of the uh, Agoji warriors was the French uh, colonizers, the French Foreign Legion. And um, I just really wanted to make a movie that wasn't uh, from any kind of white point of view. You know, I I was hired as a white woman to write this movie, and I, I felt aware of, of the feeling that um, a lot of movies that s- seem to be about people of color is are really about white people in a lot of ways. So I, I really wanted to have a point of view that was very much from the women's point of view, the, the, the female gaze and the gaze of the Dahomey people. And uh, I just felt that if the um, big battle was uh, about uh, the French, then they would have a lot of presence in the movie. And so I just started looking at the, there's 200 years of Agoji history to choose from. And I also felt that there was something very uh, spiritual about um, the Dahomey people and uh, and almost mysterious about their world. You know, people, the eyewitness accounts we have of them are people go on these journeys to reach the city of Abomey and they are kind of blown away by the beauty of the culture. And uh, I, I wanted to feel that way in the movie. I wanted to feel like you were going to a world that you've never been to before. So I started looking for all different, you know, uh, books, any book that would mention um, the Agoji, including a, a book that's just about Ouida. And I would just look at the different histories. A lot of the times I could find stuff having to do with the different kings and what was on their agenda. And I was very excited by Gezo because he came to the kingship via a coup where he was helped by the Agoji women. And immediately I was like, well, that's a fantastic relationship for, for Viola's character to be this kind of um, trusted advisor to this young man who uh, is, is a, a little bit, you know, uncertain about w- what will transpire. And then I hit this specific date of 1823 because it was a battle where the 
Agoji defeated the Oyo, which were a much more powerful empire. Then I'm like, I Google the Oyo and I see these guys on horseback with these raven's beak in their ears and these big robes. I mean, I was just so excited by the actual history that we could look at and use for this world building. So, um, and then finally, I was very aware that we needed to talk about the transatlantic slave trade. It's very purposeful that one of the first scenes in the movie is the um, the sort of uh, council scene where all the different leaders of Dahomey are talking about, not only about the oil, but about what's happening in the transatlantic slave trade, that the English have left their fort, that they are stopping the trade. And I felt that it was very believable that a character like Naniska would be suggesting a change to their trade and to their their way of dealing with these other nations, these white nations that are coming to their lands. So those were some of the things that I was excited about and I pitched and I think are part of the reason that I was able to get the job. And um, another big thing that I pitched was the scene where Naniska tells Nawi that she, if she is her daughter, she has the the shark's tooth in her in her arm. That was something that I could really tell the, the uh, producers were excited about as an idea. I mean, I mean, that scene is, is one of the most beautiful scenes in the entire movie, just because of the the intimacy and the connection and what it means for both of those two characters in that moment. What, what was the genesis of landing on the specific detail of, of it being the shark's tooth and it being embedded in her skin? Yeah, I am. It actually has something to do with a personal thing that happened to me. Um, Number one, I was very much thinking about how can we know without a shadow of a doubt in 1823 that Nawi is Naniska's daughter. Um, And I actually had a a situation happen when my son was little where he broke his um, iPad and the, the, you know, the glass, you know, screen shattered into a million pieces and as we were picking it up, a little tiny sliver of glass, it lodged in my finger and it's still there. Um, I was never able to get it out and it kind of healed over. And I thought about that kind of idea for, for this um, moment. And I, I just got chills because I also felt that the idea that the two women, somebody was going to have to cut somebody's arm open. And, uh, you know, the feeling of the water and the blood and the, I, I absolutely love the way Gina directed this scene because she did it with so much, it was, it was a quiet scene and the two actresses are amazing. They're listening to each other and they're reacting. There's, there's no artifice in this scene, even though it's kind of a crazy idea that this is going to happen. But when Nawi says, it isn't me. And then, you know, Naniska grabs her arm and the knife. I, I just was uh, thrilled with the way it turned out. And also glad that my instinct that that would be an amazing scene turned out to be true. And and you're so right in bringing up that that some of the beauty of that scene is is the aspect of listening as well. And, and there's a lot of moments throughout the film where 
the characters are listening rather than saying things to each other and exchanging a lot within silence but but the context is all built into the world and the scene in that moment and so how how do you find those moments where you're almost kind of pulling stripping back the dialogue and building the exposition around a moment because especially when you have a cast like this and and obviously you know you knew that you were writing for for Viola along the way you know you know that you know what they can bring to the table and you know what that delivery can be well, I think as if you have a career writing movies and TV, which I've been lucky to have, I've learned every time, like less is more, you know, that um, that you don't need to over explicate things at the audience. I, I often tell this to people that are giving me notes, you know, maybe at the studio who are feeling like they really want everything to be overly made clear and and the audience can be trusted to to be in the moment and, you know, making their own assumptions. And, and, uh, you know, when you have Viola Davis, I mean, it, it has been a dream of mine to write knowing who the actor is going to be and, and to write for an actor that I admire so greatly. I mean, I am a huge Viola Davis fan to the point where I, when she was first nominated for the Oscar, the, uh, the paper, the, it was still paper ballots and we had to, it was like, it was, um, President's Day weekend. And I was afraid that if I mailed my ballot, it wouldn't get there. And it was all about her. I wanted her to win. So I drove my ballot to the Academy and handed it in because I wanted her to win. So uh, I was very excited to write for her. And because I was writing for her, I knew that she didn't need to have all the words, that there was so much going on for her um, in her face and in her emotions. So um I really tried to uh, trust that. And, and I really am so glad too. Gina is like that. Gina, the director is very much trusting in the actors and these actors exceeded my every expectation, all of them, Sheila, Lashana, of course, Tuso um, and John Boyega. Oh my God, just really brought such richness to these characters. With your experience as, as a writer as well, I've, I've, I've also heard you talking about in relation to this film that it kind of pulls on a lot of your experience of, of writing, you know, love elements and, and romantic elements into stories because even though it's a mother and a daughter, it is that thing. It's two people meeting each other, getting to know each other, you know, there, there being some conflict and friction between them, them pulling apart and then ultimately coming back together at the end. Um, and so how did, did that specific kind of genre and style of writing inform some of the journey and even down to just the specificity of, you know, the, the power of the moments where they're together because you also pull them apart in the movie as well. Yeah. Well, um, it's, it's definitely that slow burn. It, it it's, it's almost something structurally, you know, you, you want the audience to lean in, you want them to want to find out what's going on between these two people and, then when they do finally come together, I mean, in this movie, it really doesn't happen until the very end. The, the feeling, whether it be a love story, you know, obviously between two, two people, that's uh, more of a couple, or it's the love story between a mother and a daughter. By the time they actually embrace each other, and when she says, mother, will you dance? Yeah. I mean, you're just like, it. it really hits you this this thing you've been waiting for. And that's part of what's great about movies is you're, you're taking the audience on this journey and you're, you're um, 
hoping that by the time you hit them with the emotion, they're ready to feel it. And they might even be a little bit surprised by it. So I love that specific line when she just says, mother, will you dance? It's so simple. You know, what you were saying about less is more. It says so much about that dynamic and the growth and and the potential for their relationship moving forward. How did you land on specifically what you wanted that line to be knowing that you were going to, you know, when you, when you know, you're only going to use a few words and that they need to carry all of that weight. How did you eventually land on that being the delineation? Well, um, early on in, in our process, you know, Maria Bello is part of our, our team. She's a producer and she shares this, the uh, story credit on the movie um, she talked talk to us about her time in Africa and watching women dance together. And so I can remember just all of us being in a room. And when she told us about that, we were like, oh, you know, we were very excited by the music and dance in the story. And Gina also really took it to another level. Gina had choreographers and, you know, the battle dance was really Gina's uh, concept. And I just think it's one of the highlights of the movie. But when I, when I get ready to write a movie, I always want to know what is the beginning and what is the end. And when Maria told us this story about the dance, and uh, I, I don't know that I knew exactly the line would be, mother, will you dance? But when I got to the writing, when I got to the end of the movie, this, this line just like came up, you know, in me, like, of course, this is the line. It's very simple. It's not like it's some brilliant thing that I, I thought of, but uh this movie has had a real uh, wonderful um, journey of uh, this. This feels right. Everything that as I'm working on it, I felt it, this feels right. Like in another scene, that's a big scene for me is when Naniska tells Amenza, I know what it is that I'm so afraid of. And when that when I was writing that speech, that emotion actually came up in me, this feeling of like, it's I know what it is. It's me. I just, this movie had a lot of moments like that. And Mother Will You Dance was one of those for me. Yeah, and there's so much to Naniska as a character, you know, and the the, the juxtaposition of, of watching this woman who's so physically strong and yet has been running from her own trauma and her own past in that way and, and having to suppress so much of herself emotionally. Um, and so how did you, how did you work in creating this character and, and fleshing out a woman that, that on the outside looks to be one thing. And then underneath there's so much going on that is never said out loud or expressed, but the audience feel in every single scene that she's in. Yeah. Well, I actually talked to a trauma therapist to ask them about, how do these things manifest themselves? If you have a, uh, this is not a suppressed memory. She she does know that it happened, but she's pushed it so far down. And I, uh, the uh, therapist that I talked to did suggest that when she comes face to face with her rapist, she freezes. She doesn't react at all. And um, and that happens in the movie where the the king and the megon step forward. And she's just standing there and, and everybody's kind of looking around, well, what's she doing? Um, and based on those um, discussions that I had, I uh, also was very, um, Gina and I and everyone involved, there's so many women involved with this movie. We did not want to see a big uh, graphic rape scene, but we wanted to just feel it from the point of view of, I have experienced this. And, and I don't, you know, when, when we do see the images from the rape, it's very subjective. And it's also flashes because she can't even 
let herself think about it, you know? And then, um, uh, I, again, yeah, like that, that last, that scene where she kind of speaks her truth to Amenza, it just hit me that, uh, we often, um, you know, the whole thing about the inner child, we often just push that down and we don't hear, um, the emotion then the trauma that we went through, we don't let it be spoken. And so it, it feels like if, if Naniska is going to heal, she has to be able to say, I need to uh, acknowledge the, the wound that I carry and I need to sort of uh, heal myself. And um, so that was, that was something that was big for me in the movie. And then in, in, in a broader sense, if you're going to write about women warriors, women warriors are very likely going to have that kind of trauma because rape is a weapon of war for women who are just civilians or warriors. I mean, it's happening in Ukraine. It happens in every war. I, I also, you know, going back to what you were saying about the end of the movie and, and that idea of, you know, you, you kind of like can't start writing the script until you know what that opening frame and the opening sequence is going to be. And it's, it's this, you know, battle sequence that gives us so much character exposition within even just the first few minutes and understanding not just ind who individual characters are, but also the dynamic amongst all these women as well. And, you know, whether it's for that opening sequence or or later battle sequences, what, is, what does that process look like in writing a lot of scenes like that, where, you know, it's very much the action versus the words and, and you it's kind of this roadmap of what is the audience eventually going to see framed at the foreground of, of each of these individual shots that tells a story about this group of women that tells a story about these individual characters. Yeah, that's that's a good question. I I tried to I, I'm not a person who's written a lot of action, so I did try to do some research uh, into great action scenes and I was very much struck by the fact that they should be about a personal um a, 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 a personal demon in a way that the person who's fighting is 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 fi is fighting they're fighting their enemy physically but there's also something they're going through as a character and um uh the action scenes are also very much formed i mean i wrote the action scenes and i gave you know tools for Gina and for the editor, Terry, but in the end they're on set and they're going, wait a minute, we can't afford to, you know, do this particular action scene this way. But what was so great is they always held on to that inner motivation of each of the characters. And they, they hung on to the individuality of each of the women. What are they good at? Um, in fact, they added to it because I certainly, um, gave the each character sort of a a certain skill that they were good at but um once they get on set it 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 morphs because they have a fight director and they have you know so so it's really that those action scenes are very much a the part of the collaborative meeting medium of movie making and in the end it boils down to the the editor being able to tell you that story and Gina having given her enough material to to use to do it and you know speaking speaking of touch points and and other movies and and scenes that you were looking at I've also heard you say that you you looked at movies like Braveheart and like Lawrence of Arabia and and how they track the the trajectory of their central protagonist and so how did looking at reference points and films like that help to inform some of the structure that you ended up bringing into this movie 
Well, I very much wanted, I also looked at things like Band of Brothers, you know, I wanted it to be about that uh, sisterhood of, you know, uh, we have each other's back and we will, we will always be there for each other. Um, But so that, that forms the ensemble, but in the end, you have this hero's journey, you have the hero's journey of Naniska, where she has, um, denied a part of herself in, in, in an effort to um, uh, do her job, you know, to do her job, to lead her people. She's decided that her personal uh, emotions need to be deadened. And she just decided that vulnerability is a weakness. And it was just really interesting to think about, you know, with, with, with Lawrence or with, with the lead in Braveheart, um, it, what they were going through and thinking about they're men, you know, and I thought, well, it would be quite interesting to have a, a physical woman leader who uh, learns a, a, her hero's journey is, oh, hey, vulnerability is okay. Vulnerability can be actually a secret weapon for me um, at certain points in my life. And so uh, I thought that was kind of a, a, a part of the story that was very, uh, at least, um, at least in, in, uh, up until now, that's been those types of things like vulnerability and, and emotion and empathy seem to belong more to women than to, to men. I don't think that's true really, but at least in this movie, if I'm talking about a woman warrior and a woman leader, I thought it was interesting to look at her vulnerability and her hiding that. It is. And, and, and process wise as, as well, um, you know, I, I was interested in in the visual aspect of kind of like mapping out the story in front of yourself and you know using note cards to to kind of put on the wall, using a whiteboard to to really look at the different beats and flows and arcs. And you know, if we have a scene as important as you know the Niska and Nawi and and the revelation of their mother and daughter, you know, what changes if we move this up here? What changes if we put this over there? Because yeah. so much of it isn't even just about building these characters. It's it's also the structure and when is the right moment to introduce the audience into certain details and certain scenes. Yeah. And also there's a kind of, there's a kind of noisy, quiet, noisy, quiet. I mean, that's something that you really feel when you watch any good movie, it's like you, you, you're breathless. And then it's like, okay, now we can just settle in for a second and feel the quiet and feel the personal moments. You know, I I always tell uh, young writers, you need to have your characters, let your characters have these these quiet personal moments, maybe where they're even alone, you know, in a scene. Um, but I very much do uh, put uh, things on a whiteboard. I put the movie on a whiteboard and um, the reveal of Naniska, even, even knowing that she'd had a child moved, you know, quite a bit. It moved even once Gina came on and Gina and I were working on it Um she felt that she didn't want anyone to know about the baby until Nawi found out. And, and I, I loved that idea. It was scary, you know, because you don't want people to feel like, hey, wait a minute, what? You know, um, but uh, I thought that it ended up really working that the first time you wonder if something more is, is up with the fact that Naniska was raped is when Amenza walks in and says, what's going on? And she says, what did you do with it? That was a big, once, once I knew that Gina wanted to, to save off this information, uh, I 
I felt like that was a big breakthrough for me, that scene when when suddenly everybody's like, wait a minute, what? And I also felt like the the line, the gods aren't that cruel was a big one because I, I really wanted the movie to have some a feeling almost of mythology of, you know, of destiny um, about these this this part of the story that has to do with the mother and daughter. Yeah, it's it's such a stunning film and it's so fascinating to hear so many of the details and and particularly the genesis of of where certain things landed character-wise and story-wise. So thank you so much for sharing all of this with with us Dana. I so appreciate it. Well, thanks so much. This was really fun, Mara.